2023 seems to be the year of the influencer trip. Companies taking influencers on all expenses paid for holidays in exchange for promoting their products. Yeah, we're talking flights paid for, fancy hotels, beautiful dinners, super fun activities, and of course, free products galore. But there's one influencer trip that's completely backfired. In June, the clothing site Shein sent a bunch of American influencers to China to visit one of its factories. Now, Shein has repeatedly come under fire for poor working conditions, creating mountains of clothing waste because of its fast fashion model. It reportedly creates and produces 10,000 new items every day. So when these US social media stars started posting videos of a squeaky clean factory and giving glowing reviews, the criticism came in thick and fast, especially given there's been undercover documentaries in Shein factories painting a very different picture. So here to unpack what went down and talk us through the backlash is Brett Staniland, who you might recognise from Love Island, but uh, perhaps more importantly, given the context, is a sustainable fashion editor and advocate. Brett, g'day, how you doing? Hi, very nice to meet you. I'm all good, thanks. Talk us through, first of all, this term fast fashion. People throw it around quite a lot. What does it actually mean? So fast fashion is um, a business model which relies heavily on translating catwalk trends and trends from... um, celebrity culture to the high street at extremely cheap prices extremely quickly um, there's been reports actually that they've been able to do it in like less than 48 hours but what it relies on is massive production and massive overconsumption and essentially a cycle of trends that lasts merely a couple of days so tell us about this Shein influencer trip what did we see and then what did you think about the content that was getting put out there by those influencers yeah so um I mean, it was just staggering. You're to laughing. See. It, it's just, to me, it's so ridiculous. My last influencer trip was to Ghana like three weeks ago. And so to see this influencer trip was a little bit of um, a stark reminder of why I do the work that I do. But essentially, um, Sheehan had flown in a bunch of American influencers, first class, might I add, with their partners, put them up in five-star hotels, and then essentially giving them a guided tour of a few of their facilities. I believe one was a factory and one was like their innovation lab. I'm not sure what they're innovating in particular, but that's what they call it. And the influencers essentially all did like a come with me. It was like, you know, we were shown around. It was all amazing. We spoke to people who worked in the factories and they tell us about how great their life is. And I'm just, I remember watching it just thinking this is ridiculous. It's as if someone's like got a gun to them and they've got to recite a script almost of how like amazing everything is which is clearly just like a tiny tiny microscopic lens on uh on the Shein machine well because what 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 do we actually know about the conditions of Shein factories probably the biggest indication came when channel 4 um did an undercover investigation and the documentary is called untold and something to do with the Shein machine and it uncovered things like you know, garment makers making three pence per item them not being able to have toilet breaks them working like long, long days, like 18, 19 hour days, as well as cases of being abused by their floor managers, as well as, you know, if, if they make a mistake, they get docked pay. There's just so many things that were uncovered. Um, and alongside that, Sheehan have a history of design theft, um, offering people internships so they could come and design and then stealing their designs, or even just like going on social media, seeing young independent designers um, stealing their designs, as well as, you know, a history of making um, anti-Semitic necklaces and prayer rugs that they called Greek carpets too. So 
Literally everything that you can think of a fashion brand doing something bad, Sheen have pretty much done it. So was this just complete influencer washing then? Yeah, I think the, I think the thing to remember and consider here is that they were very particular with the influencers they chose. It wasn't, you know, seven skinny, white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls who were quite wealthy. It was mostly marginalised creators. And by marginalised as creators, I mean plus-size creators, plus-size models, as well as uh, models who are mostly, I think, women of colour that were on the trip. And so they're specific and intentional with who they used on that trip. That one not only makes their brand look inclusive and look like they're catering to a community, but it also means that the influencer, because notoriously that type of influencer has less opportunities, get paid less, there was reports on this a few years ago, it kind of makes them feel like they should be grateful for this opportunity and therefore that they should, you know, subscribe to whatever Sheehan tells them. You know, they tell them that their working conditions are good. The influencer feels like they need to convey that, you know, just almost in a way to say thanks for being on the trip. So is this sort of a, a warning bell to influencers and influencer culture to your eyes? Yeah, I think, you know, overall, I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised with the reaction that basically no one bought it. Um, I think it means it's an indication that we're moving in the right way and that people, one, hold influencers accountable now for their actions, you know, what they put out online, especially when it's so clearly misleading. But I think it's an indication for the creator themselves to, you know, really reconsider the jobs that they take on, not just in terms of, you know, this is going to pay bills for me, but also what's it going to do for my brand? What's it going to do for my community? One thing I really learned from, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to bring up Love Island again, but um, one thing one thing that I really learned from Love Island is that creators who have big platforms almost immediately see their community as customers. And so, you know, you get a big profile and a big platform and immediately it's like, right, how do I monetize this? How do I sell something to them so that I can make money? Whereas my approach, and obviously coming from a different kind of background too in fashion and modeling, I just wanted to foster a community and, you know, educate and empower and teach people stuff and learn together about things rather than like immediately try and get a product just to ram down people's throats. So I think it's also might this this kind of trip might then um, make other creators reconsider that kind of relationship that they have with their platform, their audience. Wait, do you know any of the influencers here? Have you been in touch with them at all? No, um, I had a lot of people obviously tagging them in, in my like viral videos. Um, I did reach out to the main girl, I think her name's Danny. I did send her a DM and say, look, this is coming from a good place, um, but if you'd want to jump on a live with me and we can kind of have a discussion, obviously we'll pre-plan it, so I'm not going to like try to attack her, but I, I did reach out. She didn't reply. I'm not sure if she's read it, but yeah. So one of the influencers in question has responded to the claims levelled at her in the wake of this trip. Uh, Danny Carbonari, or Danny DMC, posted this video during the immediate backlash. This is like the dark, crazy side of TikTok. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, I'm not the fucking one. So here's the deal. Could never, will never be a sellout ever in life. I was not paid for any trip or to say anything. I was taken on a trip once in a lifetime chance, you would have done the exact same thing. I have so much more awareness of what's going on behind the scenes than any of you ever could because you don't see what's going on. 90% of what's in your closet is made in horrible conditions. So you have no right to say anything. Second, I've seen stuff with my own two eyes. If you think it's propaganda, that's cool. Again, you've never been to China and you've never seen what's going on. But Danny has since followed it up with this post on Instagram. I wanted to come on here and clarify a couple things after yesterday's live. The first thing I want to make abundantly clear is 
I have terminated my relationship with Shein upon returning from the trip and I will no longer be aligned with them or work with them in any capacity now or ever in the future. I made a mistake. I made a huge mistake. I always try to lead with me, my younger self and my community in mind. And I let us down. I did us wrong. I led us to the wrong path. And I'm very aware of that now. I am ready to take accountability and look at myself and look at my role in my industry. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. You know, we, we have to talk about fast fashion as kind of a, a concept and I guess the role that pop culture plays in fostering fast fashion as well. And, and t- to bring up Love Island once again, you know, and Love Island's notorious for its, um, well, has in the past been notorious for its, its, its use of fast fashion and sort of using that as a revenue generating model. That's something that you refuse to partake in. W- what do you think society needs to do in the area of fast fashion to get away from, I suppose, w- what you might describe as an exploitative business model? Well, ultimately, it's, it's like capitalism, isn't it? Um, it's product and profit over anything else. I think as, um, as the general population, our approach to fashion has to change and our approach to getting dressed has to change. At the moment, because we're so heavily influenced by social media, um, reality TV, celebrity stuff, it means that we have to subscribe to a thing that makes us think we're relevant and cool and popular. And it's basically a massive snowball of peer pressure that's put on people to like not rewear items. Once we've posted it on social media, it's now old. That's what we kind of need to get away from. And I think um, things like switching to secondhand fashion will definitely help that because it helps you curate a specific sense of style rather than just subscribe to the latest trendy thing. And, you know, we all, we all definitely do have a responsibility. We can all make a little bit of a difference. But ultimately, legislation will make the biggest impact, I believe, with this. The European Union are working on some stuff at the moment to end fast fashion. But yeah, between us, I think, I think just like understanding what works for us, curating an actual self-expressive sense of style. And I, I love fashion. Like, I'm completely obsessed with fashion. I love Fashion Week and I love talking to designers. And I do believe we can have something that's equally as exciting and creative, but in a more responsible way. What triggered your love for sustainable fashion? I grew up really working class in Derbyshire. It's like a really small place in, in England. And my, my dad's an engineer, so it was like getting the connection with clothing for me. It was like how it was made and where it was made and who made it. That's always kind of been ingrained in who I am through my father. It started really when I was modeling and I'd go into like a showroom or a studio and just see vast amounts of clothing. And it was kind of after like two years or so of doing like econ where we'd shoot 75 looks a day. And I'm just thinking like, I'm not the only model. I'm not the only person working here. And I'm also, this is just one day of the year. And it was kind of, I start to have this realization of just how much clothing this one brand would make or sell. And then from that, I, it kind of led me down a route of, learning about how clothes are made and textiles and then into like the luxury end of the industry and you know I I often get criticism for you know not everyone can afford this and you work in luxury fashion all that stuff but that was kind of my driving that was my engine of how I got to where I am now so it was going to like the old luxury houses um, even on like Savile Row or in in Italy um, and seeing like family businesses and like things made in the local area by the local community and the supply chain being really short that was then the rabbit hole of sustainability for me and learning about the wider issues. 
Um, but it was, you know, we're all on, I'm, all, I'm still on that journey and I will always be on that journey. And that's why I try and empower people to do the same thing. Like, doesn't matter where we start or where we are. If, if you're open-minded and willing to learn, that's that's the right uh, route to be on. What do you hope comes of this particular incident, I guess, in, in the sort of, in the, in the long term here? A, a bigger awareness of what we're doing online. Like, I, I feel like you can choose to be influenced in a good way online. And I think we all need to be more receptive of that and more conscious of the the content we consume online i think the community hopefully i'm hopeful that the community will just continuously grow from here on in i think what we'll see over the next couple of years is the demise of fast fashion and the rise of sustainable fashion in one way or another and that's really hard to gauge at the moment when like sheen are literally the biggest brand on the planet and you know gen z are shopping quicker and more often than ever but I do believe that that's the direction this will go. And I think this influencer trip and this kind of revelatory social media like thing that's gone on at the moment is kind of the first step for us all to go, right, this influencer no longer serves me. I'm going to unfollow them. And I think that's like a really good um, step in the right direction. Brett Stanilin, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this special bonus episode of Newsable. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. And if you liked what you heard, good news, we make new episodes every weekday and on Saturdays as well, not Sundays, because we need a rest. But if you want those, hop into your favourite podcast player and give us a follow. You will have piping hot Newsable goodness delivered right to your phone without having to lift a finger. Piping hot. We're also on social media. You can find us on TikTok or Insta at NewsableNZ and you can also email us. Newsable at stuff.co.nz is the address for now though. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs>